Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can come here this morning and hear from your word. Lord, we thank you that your word does indeed change us, that it divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Lord, we thank you that through your word you judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that we may be willing to submit to your judgment this morning as we look at your word together. Lord, we pray that it may expose areas where we need to change and become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that he may be exalted this morning and throughout our lives from this day forward because of the things that we learn here this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think we know that with certain things in life, if they do not change, it actually encourages us to depend upon them or to keep going with the thing that that does not change affects us. I remember when we first got our home loan, uh, when Jill and I got married, we purchased a house and we got a home loan, and something that really scared me was interest rates and the fact that if interest rates go up, my payments will, my interest on my home loan will uh, get, uh, have to get much larger. And so I got really fearful of these interest rates. And so I actually made the move. I don't know whether it was wise at the time or not, but at the time I made the move to a fixed interest rate where it would not change, that the interest rate would be the same for a, a set number of years. And that, to me, was a great encouragement, that I knew exactly how things were going to progress for a number of years, and that gave me encouragement to pay off as much as I could of the loan and, and to reduce it down to size so that my interest in the future would not be as much because of the size of my loan. And, uh, because, you know, yeah, of the size of my loan. And so we recognize that, that we like things that don't change because it gives us encouragement and we can depend upon those things if they do not change. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We've come to this passage in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 16 and 17 and 18, which is found on page 1187 of your Black Church Bibles. And in this passage, God wants to show us, to demonstrate that his purpose to bless you does not change, and so you can be greatly encouraged. And we see that in verse 17 and 18. It says, verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. God wants to show us that his purpose does not change, which is what he says in verse 17, and then the reason why he wants to show us that is so that we may be greatly encouraged. But the question is, what is this purpose of God that God has for us? He says in verse 17 he wants to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. What is that unchanging purpose that he has for us? Well, in previous weeks we've looked at that purpose that he has and uh, we see it clearly given to us in verse 14, but I'll read from verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13, it says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, this is his purpose, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. What is God's purpose for your life? His purpose is to bless you, to make you happy for this life and also for the rest of eternity. God's purpose is to bless you. 
But the question then is, how do I know that God's purpose to bless me is not going to change? That God may not at some point in the future say, well, my purpose has changed and my purpose now is to curse you. Not bless you, but to curse you. How can you know that God's purpose will continue? Well, the author in Hebrews chapter 6 tells us two reasons why we know that God's purpose will not change. And that's because God has told us on oath and by promise, by a promise, that his purpose is to bless us. He's promised to bless us and he's given us an oath that he will bless us. And that's what we read in verse 18. It says, God did this so that by two unchangeable things, two things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. God has given us two reasons why we know his purpose does not change to bless us, and that is by his promise and his oath. And we see, and so that brings me to my first main point this morning. If you want to follow my main points, they're on the back of the church bulletin. And you can see that my first main point will be about the promise and the second main point will be about the oath. And then my third main point will be about how we can be greatly encouraged from those two things. So my first main point this morning is that God's purpose does not change because God has made a promise. God's purpose does not change because God has made a promise. And we see that in verse 13, that it is described what God purposes for us as a promise. Verse 13 says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, this is his promise, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. What is a promise? Well, a promise is when we speak and we say that something will happen and we really mean it. I can say, I promise that I'll be home at 5.30, Jill. Or I can just say, oh, I'll be home at 5.30, which is stronger. Well, if I say, I really promise I will be home at 5.30, it makes my, my word seem even more certain, my purpose, that I will be home at a particular time. Because I've uttered the word, I promise, it shows that I am sincere in my words and that I really aim to be home at 5.30. And it's the same with God. When God makes a promise, the purpose that God has revealed, that his intention, what he is going to do, is even more certain and will not change. Because when he makes a promise, he is saying, I really will make sure that this happens. And when he promises something, he has to speak. And the amazing thing is, when it comes to God in comparison to us, when God speaks, he cannot lie. He always tells the truth. And that's what we understand to be spoken of in verse 18. It says, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible to, for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. When God makes a promise, he speaks. And when God speaks, he tells the truth. It is impossible for God to lie. And so if God speaks and makes a promise, then it has to come true because God cannot lie. And so we know that God's purpose to bless us has to happen because he has spoken about it and he's spoken about it in a promise. He has said, I promise I will bless you if you trust in me. You will be blessed both now and for all eternity. 
So one way that we know that God's purpose to bless us does not change is by the fact that he has promised he will not, he, he will bless us for all eternity. What is the other way? Well, as I said before, God's purpose does not change because God made an oath. That's my second main point this morning. God's purpose does not change because God made an oath. And we see that God swore an oath about this in in verse 13 and 15 and then going on into 16 and 17. We see that when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. And then we read in verse 16, Men swear by something greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. God didn't just make a promise to bless us. He confirmed it with an oath. He swore that he would bless us if we trust in him. And so his oath demonstrates that his purpose to bless us is indeed certain. How does an oath strengthen our word? Well, for a few reasons. Firstly, if you swear an oath, you are showing the sincerity of your words. Just like when you take a promise and you say, I promise that I will be home at 5.30. You show the sincerity of your word. But if you take an oath, if you swear by something that I will be home at 5.30, you're even you're strengthening your word even more. You're showing that it's dependable, that you really will be home at 5.30. And so it is with God. God, by taking an oath, shows the sincerity of his word. He seriously means that he will bless you if you trust in him because he has taken an oath about the matter. That's one way that we see an oath strengthens our word, that it does not change by um, the sincerity of it. Secondly, when we take an oath, we actually subject ourselves to judgment of the thing that we swear an oath on. So if you swear an oath on the emperor's name at the time, that, that would have been something that was done and during the biblical time. You say, if you swear by the emperor's name, by Caesar, I swear I will be home at 530 You are subjecting yourself to Caesar's judgment. If Caesar comes into the matter at some point and finds out that you broke your word and weren't home at 5.30, then Caesar says, by your words you have condemned yourself and I will condemn you and punish you for breaking your word. And so these days it may not be by Caesar's name that you swear an oath, but people can say, by my mother's name, I swear that I will be home at 5.30. What are you doing by swearing on your mother's name? You're swearing that if mum finds out that I wasn't home at 5.30 when I said I would be, mum has the right to punish me because I've sworn on her name, on her integrity. And if she fails to punish me when I broke my word, then her integrity is damaged. And so when you take an oath on something, you subject yourself to the judgment of the thing that you take an oath on. And God has done that. He swore on something. What is that thing that he swore on? Well, he swore on himself. We see that in verse 13. It says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, 
saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And then in verse 16, this is played out for us a little more. It says, men swear by something greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. He swore on himself. So it's hard for God because usually you swear on something greater than yourself, the emperor, your mum, something else that's liable to judge you. But God is the judge of all. God is supreme. He can't swear by something greater than himself. So he swore on his own self. He said, I will judge myself and punish myself if I break my word. God has actually subjected himself to his own judgment if he breaks his word. And remember, God is an all-just God. And so, of course, his purposes will be accomplished because he has sworn an oath on himself. He has subjected himself to judgment. Also, another way that we know that an oath makes sure that our, uh, that the, the purpose we have sworn about will come true is by the fact that an oath makes your word very clear. When you take an oath, when you swear that what you are saying is indeed true, it becomes very clear to everybody. There's no sort of he said, she said, he, hearsay about the person's words, particularly if you do this in court. If you ever go to court and have to testify and you take an oath, Beforehand, from then on, everybody is very clear about your words, particularly as they transcribe everything that you say. And so it goes onto a court record and is very embarrassing if, uh, if later on your word is seen to be wrong and untrue, that you were lying. But it becomes very clear to everybody what you have said. That's why you get dragged into court. They want to find out what is, what they expose the matter. They want you on oath saying, what happened. And we see this with God as well. When he takes an oath, he is speaking and then revealing to us what his purpose is. And it cannot be changed by somebody saying, well, I think God's purpose is actually this. And somebody else says, no, I think God's purpose is this. We can actually say, no, we know what God's purpose is because he has taken an oath. He has revealed to us. He has spoken himself and exposed his purpose to us. And this is what the author wants to make clear to us, is that by God swearing an oath, things are very clear about his purposes. And they cannot then change. You can't say, well, God said something here and then God said something here. No, we, we know what he said because he took an oath. And the author shows us this in a couple of ways. Verse 16, we read, men swear by something greater than themselves and the oath, what does it do? It confirms what is said. It makes clear. It makes something clear. It confirms what he said. And then what does it say in verse 16? And puts an end to all arguments. People can't argue anymore once someone has taken an oath. You know what the person has said. And so no one can dispute it anymore. It puts an end to all arguments. And then in verse 17, it also uh, the author wants to make clear to us that an oath makes God's word clear. By saying in verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. We have that word confirmation again there in verse 17, but we also have the words very clear. When someone takes an oath, it demonstrates that God's word is very clear 
and is beyond all arguments. There is no disputing any longer about what God has said. And so his word does not change. It cannot be changed by another person saying something. And we see that with uh, the passage that we read in Numbers 23 this morning. Balak wanted to change what God intended to do for God's people. But God had taken an oath. He's sworn an oath. And God's word cannot be changed. Balaam actually makes that quite clear in, in Numbers 23. Balaam even tells. This is a, a pagan prophet. And he, he says in verse 18, which is on page 155, if you want to flip back there, Numbers chapter 23, verse, verse 18, it says, Then he uttered this oracle, that's uh, Balaam. He says, Arise, Balak, and listen, hear me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless, and he has blessed, and I cannot change it. He has taken an oath, and it doesn't matter what I do as a human. There is no more arguments about what God wants to do. I can't change it. I'm just a man. God has taken an oath, and if he wants to bless Israel, if that is his purpose, then it happens. There's no disputing it anymore. And then, of course, an oath actually confirms your word as true and will not change by the fact that if you do not accomplish your purpose or what you've said under oath, it makes you a liar. And with God, as we've said before, as we've seen before, it is impossible for him to lie. We've got to remember that when an oath is said, it is said. And when God says something, it is always true. Just like when he speaks, it is always true. When he promises, it is always true. When he takes an oath, it is always true. All three things are speaking. And so when God speaks, if it is impossible for him to lie, if it is impossible for him to lie, then when he says an oath, then it can't be broken. And that's what the author wants to bring out for us in verse 18 as well. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, the promise and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. So we see in this part of God's word that God's purpose to bless you does not change because God has promised that he will bless you and God has sworn an oath that he will bless you. And so nothing else in the whole universe is as certain as God's promise to bless you if you will trust in him. No earthly oath is that certain. No last will and testament of a person is as certain as God's oath to bless you. No promise from an investment bank to give you a set interest rate is as certain as God's purpose to bless you. And no promise even from a government, although I think we often do not take government promises all that seriously anyway. But some government promises have been affected for centuries. But even those are subject to change. There is nothing more certain in this life that will not change, then God's promise to bless you if you trust in him. We often say there's nothing certain in life except death and taxes. But death is not certain. Jesus could come back. You're not, you don't die at all. Taxes, they'll cease one day, hopefully. We'll see 
When Jesus comes back, I don't think there are taxes in heaven. I haven't seen any mention of that in the scriptures. Taxes will end. At least the Australian government taxes will end. There is nothing certain in life except God's purpose to bless you. So what does that mean? If there is nothing more certain in the world than God's purpose to bless you. Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. God's purpose does not change, so be greatly encouraged. And that's what verse 18 tells us to do. It says, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be, and here's why he's done it all, greatly encouraged. If we have confirmation that something won't change, it is encouraging for us to keep going, to keep trusting in that thing. Just like with my fixed interest rate from the bank, it encouraged me to keep going, paying off the loan, because I knew exactly how things were going to progress. And so it is with God. We've got his word, his promise, that he will bless us if we trust in him. And so that keeps us following him. And this is helpful for us to remember because we are so prone to doubt God's promise, his purpose to bless us. We shouldn't be, but we are. When we experience bodily pain, there's a little voice that starts to say, does God really purpose to bless me? When we suffer religious persecution, people don't like you at work. People say nasty things about you in your own family. Because you are a Christian, we start to doubt God's purpose to bless us. When we struggle with sin, particular sin that we've struggled with for years and we just don't seem to be able to overcome it, and we say, come on God, do you really intend to bless me and help me overcome the sin in my life? We start to doubt. In such situations, we need to be reminded of God's promise and oath. God knows that you struggle will struggle with doubt. He knows that your faith will come under trial and will waver. And so that is why he hasn't just spoken that he will bless you. He has promised he will bless you. And then he didn't just promise that he would bless you. He took an oath that he would bless you. Why did he do all that? He could have just spoken because, remember, God's word is truth. It is impossible for God to lie. He could have just said, I will bless you. He didn't need to mention promises, didn't need to mention oaths. But he knows that we struggle to believe that his purpose is to bless us. And so he says, okay, he condescends towards us and says, I'm going to take a promise that I'll bless you. Okay? And I'll also take an oath that I will bless you. So that when you struggle with doubt about God's purpose to bless you, that somehow it has changed and he's no longer blessing you but he is cursing you, you can go back to the word and say, it's not just his word says it, his promise says it and his oath says he's going to bless me. And so of course he is going to bless me. And so then we can have great encouragement to continue following him because we know that there's nothing more certain in the whole universe than God's intention to bless us. And so we can trust him as we should. So the question is, do you trust God and his purpose to bless you for all eternity? 
because it is so shameful if you do not trust him. You've got the greatest certainty in the universe about God's purpose to bless you. And so it is so shameful if you will not trust him. God has promised to bless you. And so you should trust in him. God has not just promised to bless you, but it is shameful if you do not believe him because he's also taken an oath to bless you. And then not only that, he has taken an oath on himself to bless you, and so it's even more shameful if you reject him after that. You reject him because, even though he's promised, you reject him because he's taken, even after he's taken an oath. You reject him even after he's taken an oath on himself. And then you reject him even after his oath shows very clearly what his purpose is. It's not as though it's somehow hidden in the Bible somewhere and, and it's very, very strange. No, he has shown us so clearly his purpose to bless if we will trust in him. And so it is so shameful if you will not trust on him. And what are you doing if you say that God's purpose is not to bless you? You are accusing God of perjury. What is perjury? It's when you lie under oath. In a very serious situation, you still tell a lie. Now, we tell lies and people say, you know, oh, it's just a white lie. And we, in different situations, we think it's okay to lie. Not getting into that uh, situation this morning and uh, talking about that issue. But we all know it is extremely serious if you lie in court under oath. And there are penalties for doing so. We even saw that in this uh, country with a judge who lied under oath about a traffic crime and how serious the consequences were for that judge when it was found out. He should know better and take seriously oaths. And that's what you're doing if you do not trust God and his purpose to bless you. You are saying God lies under oath. He doesn't take oaths seriously. And you're accusing God of perjury. And that is shameful. So are you doubting God's purpose to bless those who trust in him? God has made it so clear that this is his purpose and it does not change. Do you want to be blessed by God? Trust in him. He has given us faithfully in his word, great certainty that if you will trust in God, then he will definitely bless you both in this world and in the one to come. Don't doubt his promise and his oath and accuse God of perjury. Instead, trust in him and reap the benefits now and always. Let us come before our God in prayer. Let us speak to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are so clear in your word, that you have spoken your purpose to bless us. But you haven't just spoken it, you've given us it in form of a promise. And then you just haven't given it to us in the form of a promise, but you have also given it to us in the form of an oath. So we are guaranteed that what you have said you will do will indeed come to pass. And it is so wonderful to know that your purpose is not to curse us, but to bless us. So, Lord, we pray that we may indeed trust in you so that we are blessed for all eternity. May we not commit the shameful crime of 
doubting your word, doubting your promise, doubting your oath that you swore on yourself and accuse you of perjury. But Lord, may we accept your word as true and indeed reap the benefits for all eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.